I have kind of a, a shortened, if you will, message today, so um, uh, I, I just want to sort of begin by, you know, I'm just been, I've been enthralled with this notion of Jesus, <laughs> uh, and, and Paul was too. Paul was really, um, he was enthralled with Jesus himself, and uh, in fact, all of the, the disciples uh, who walked with Jesus became so in love with him and or enamored with him. Let's see if we can go back here a little bit. Hey, though. Don't you love buttons? Um, we're going to talk about Jesus and the glory of God today for just a few minutes. And uh, not from Paul's perspective primarily, but through um, the Apostle John. And so if you have your Bible, if you would turn to uh, John chapter 1, I want to begin there and read just a couple of verses uh, for you, if I may, because John also had a unique um, view of God through this person of Jesus. And uh, you might remember, if you would look at the first verse of chapter 1 of John's Gospel, John is sort of writing about this pre-existence of Jesus, that is, before he became incarnate in, in a person, Jesus. And he said, in the very beginning, in R.K., way back in the very beginning, God um, uh, created, but the, the Word was with God, the living Word was with God, the living Word was God, uh, and the living Word, we pick up then in verse 14, where we see the living word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now what John says in this verse is that, that the word, the living word of God became uh, enfleshed and lived his life among us in order that we might know something about God. Uh, specifically that we would behold his glory, and John said, it's the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, so far we go, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Now, if you read on, um, I skipped a verse there, and it's, it's not particularly germane to the discussion. I uh, just said, you know, nothing was made without him. But verse 16 says, and of his fullness, uh, we uh, have received grace upon grace. What I want you to see this morning is that God sent someone uh, in order to show us something about who he was. And John is saying when you look at Jesus, you see his glory. And this glory is the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And it's full of grace and truth. And of his fullness, then we see... Uh, and receive grace upon grace. Now, grace upon grace, it literally, in the Greek, is and grace uh, uh, for grace, or and grace and grace, or and grace. It's just the la layering of grace is communicated to us through the person of Jesus. Now, this will become a little more apparent why in just a minute. Now, in verse 17, if you're reading along here, or I have it up here, it says, For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus. Now, what John is doing there is that he does what often the Apostle Paul does. He draws a kind of a polemic, a, 
a contrast, if you will. And John was saying that when we look um, at the law of Moses, um, and I wrote a few little words here, you may not be able to see them, uh, the law brought to us the light of the truth of God, his character of God, the character of God. But the law also brought to us the knowledge of sin. Where there is no law, we're kind of, you know, hey, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is God is holy and he is just and he sent his law to open our understanding of um, our need for him and the result of that is guilt and then condemnation and shame. So, so what John is saying here is that God gave the law truth, knowledge of sin, guilt, condemnation, and shame, and it came through this person of Moses. Now, he's just setting up a logical sort of contrast. Now, it's the law of God and the truth of God that brings us, Paul says later, into the revelation of our need for Jesus. Now, if, if the law came through Moses, what John is saying is that Grace and truth, not just truth, but grace and truth, uh, came through Jesus Christ. In other words, when the Father determined to show us Himself, He began by giving us the truth through His law, but it brings with it guilt and condemnation and shame, and we can't measure up by keeping the law. Paul says, through the works of the law, no one will be justified before Him. So if you want to really see what the Father is like, you can't see Him unless you view Him through the person of Jesus Christ because He brought not just the truth of the law, He brought grace and truth. And the grace and the truth of Jesus is what makes a person righteous, not based upon what we do of keeping the law, but based upon what he did by perfectly keeping the law. That's why the good news is so good. So grace and truth is that the, the righteousness that we have is now by faith. A person is justified made by faith, righteous by faith, and therefore we have peace with God. Not only do we have peace with God, but through faith I have access into this grace in which I now stand as a believer. Aren't you glad you're not standing under the weight of the law? Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So when John says that Jesus stepped into the world and we beheld his glory... The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was saying this was absolutely new. Now, verse 18 says, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the very closest regions of the Father, in His bosom, in the heart of the Father. He is the one who has revealed Jesus, or revealed the Father to us. So, beloved... Initially, what I am saying to you is that if you're going to have a good opinion of the Father, you can't get one without looking at Jesus. Now, let me show you where I get that. The word doxa, if you look at, you know, and we beheld his glory, that's the word doxa. Um, 
that his glory of him, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, doxa is the Greek word, and you might remember the doxology. We don't sing it a lot, but in fact, the doxology is the declaration of the honor and the goodness of God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, what that is, is the declaration, and this came right out of W.E. Vine's study on New Testament words. I'm quoting, glory, doxa, signifies a good opinion or a good estimate. What does glory mean? It means a good opinion or a good estimate, the honor resulting from having a good opinion. So to glorify someone, if I were to give glory, for example, to use a human illustration to Davy because he was playing guitar and he did an awesome job, I could say, Davy is, he's, you know, he is terrific on the guitar and he is just amazing and we just want to honor, you know, see what I'm saying? So to, to understand what John is saying here is that when Jesus stepped into human form and lived among us, tabernacled among us, he brought to you and to me a good opinion of the Father so that we could honor him for who he really is. And before this time, the law came through Moses and brought condemnation, but now we have a good opinion of the Father because He showed us who He really is like in His full dimensions through the Son who is Jesus. Isn't that good? Okay, now let's move through this a little bit more. Jesus then came to reveal to our hearts a good opinion of the Father. Now, glory means more than that. If you remember in the Old Testament, it means the eminence of light, it means that, you know, the Shekinah glory is the, is the, the light that emanates from um, the, the personhood and the honor and the value of who God is. But basically, the definition means to have a good opinion. And when you have a good opinion of the Father, His light begins to emanate from your life. That's why John, in, the first, in his epistle, 1 John, says this, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So to have the good opinion of the Father, to give Him glory with your life, is to walk in the reality of the light that He gives to you and the love that He gives to you. So we see that God is love, uh, God is, is uh, life, God is light, God is spirit, and all of those aspects and so many more of who the Father is, we begin to glimpse only as we look at Jesus. Now let me look at a couple more things with you. So Jesus came to reveal a good opinion of the Father. It's the Father's glory. So then a good opinion of God can only come through Jesus who then layers, John says, who layers His grace upon grace over the top of the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He doesn't uh, negate the law, it's that the law can't be understood in its full reality until there is grace upon grace layered above, around it and through it. You see, it's the grace of God that, that causes us to understand who God is in His fullness. And it's through the grace that comes through Jesus. Now, Hebrews chapter 12, and actually this is a typo, my bad, verse 24 says this. That's why Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. 
He's the mediator, the one that stands between God and every person uh, of the new covenant. And when you begin to read the book of Hebrews, you'll under, you, we understand uh, that Jesus brought us a better covenant. Because the old covenant, as good as it was, and as much glory and light that it revealed, it could not satisfy God's demands, because you and I could never live up to it. That's why Paul, and that's why in this text, John declares that it is Jesus then who brings us into a full understanding of what God did for us through grace and through truth, not just through truth. You see, he brought us into a better covenant, and the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, we'll tag it in just a moment, brings us more glory. That's why I said if the glory that came through the, the ministry of condemnation had glory on it, how much greater is the glory that comes to you through Jesus, through the new covenant? So, in fact, here it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, puts it this way. Note the words that Paul uses. He says, if the ministry of death... His words, written on stone, was glorious. You realize that's an allusion to the moral law. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not. The ten words. Deca, log, ten words. So Paul says, if the ministry of death, written on stones, was glorious, brought us an opinion of God... How much will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? You see, Paul, in this case, nor John, was disparaging the law. They understood that the law can only take you so far. And it brings you an accurate understanding that God is just, that God is holy, that He is righteous, and the covenant made with Moses, by giving the law, was a covenant that depended on the people obeying. It was a covenant of works. Bad news. But contrasted to that, if the ministry of death written on stones was glorious, how much more the ministry of the Spirit will be more glorious. And then he says it another way. If the ministry of condemnation, over here in the old, if the ministry of condemnation had with it uh, glory and a, a good opinion of God, watch this, how much more the ministry of righteousness will exceed in much more glory. You see, that's what John is saying here, that in the beginning, uh, God uh, was the living Word, and that Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the good news that we get to live in right now is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the old glory and the exceedingly abundant glory that He brings to us in the new covenant. That's why the new covenant's better. That's why the new covenant is more important, uh, brings more glory to it than the previous covenant. Now let me sort of wrap this up by saying a couple of things here now. You might not be able to read these texts. These are some texts I've listed from the Apostle Paul. And I just want to tag them quickly. What makes the new covenant so glorious? Well, God didn't just 
reside on us in the old and then cause you to work hard to perform. But in the new covenant, God actually comes and lives his life in us by the Spirit. That's why Paul says if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of the Spirit will have so much more glory. Now, why is this the case? Because in the Old Covenant, you could only be righteous by being good enough. Is that bad news to anybody but me? It's, you just can't be good enough. That's why Paul says all have sinned. Bad news. And fallen short of God's glory. The full opinion of who God really is. Now, in the, in the, the New Covenant then... Romans 1.17, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Not the righteousness of performance. In Romans 3.21, he says, Now the righteousness of God is made known apart from the law. Do you see what he's doing? He's doing the same thing John did. The law came through Moses and it brought condemnation, but grace and life came through Jesus. And we need to pay attention to that man because he's different. He is God who stepped into flesh to bring us an accurate opinion of the Father. Romans 3.28 says a man is justified. That means made righteous by faith rather than by what they do. Now, Romans 5.17 says, Grace now reigns through righteousness. And what that means is, you couldn't be righteous over here under the old, but now under the new covenant, God has established one way for men and women to be righteous. Through faith in Jesus. And when a person is then accounted righteous because of what Jesus did, then grace reigns through that righteousness. In other words, when you begin to see yourself as unworthy as we are as human beings, but when we begin to see ourselves as having had credited to our account the righteousness of God, it begins to transform the heart so that we live in righteousness. We begin to let it ooze out of our heart. See, the heart and the spirit, if you will, is made perfectly righteous by a birthing process by which Jesus comes and lives his life in us. Now, the Gentiles, Romans 9.30, we looked at this last week, the Gentiles attained the righteousness of faith, whereas Israel didn't, because they were trying to be righteous in their own works. But the Gentiles, who weren't looking for God, became righteous because God planted in their heart faith and God credited them then to their account righteousness. Therefore, Romans 10.10 says, With the heart one believes unto righteousness. How does one become righteous? There's only one way. And it's by believing what Jesus did for you and for me on a cross. And by believing that in our heart, uh, we believe unto righteousness. And the text goes on to say, and then we simply begin to confess with our mouth unto salvation. So we get it in our heart by faith, and we begin to talk about it, 
And then we, be, we begin to believe it, we begin to talk about it, and we begin to live in such a way that the righteousness that is freely given to us, credited to us by grace and by faith, begins to come out of our life in the real substance of how we live. Now, let me go back. There's another one I probably ought to look at. Galatians 3.24 says, The law then was our tutor, our schoolmaster. Why was it there? to bring us to Christ so that we might be justified. That means made righteous in God's eyes by faith. Now the reason I'm going over these scriptures is it's real important because as I talk to people a lot, a lot some here and many out there, they don't have an understanding of, of how one becomes righteous. Their definition of righteousness is what they do because they're over here under the law. And the law was given through Moses, but, beloved, grace and truth come through Jesus. And when we believe in our heart, we are justified by faith. And then finally, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, Now it is by grace that you're saved. See, that's the unmerited gift of God. By grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is the biggest, amazing most unbelievable gift that God could ever give to anyone and he did that so you wouldn't boast in it because I promise if I thought I had something to do with being a saved loved son of God uh, I would probably find something to boast in oh it's because of me no guess what it's only because of Jesus now let me end here with this is a quote from a book and I'll put it all on here this is Dr. James Richard in his book uh, Grace, the power to change. He says this. It's worth quoting. He said, It's fairly easy to believe truth about Jesus. It's fairly easy to believe truth about Jesus. The difficulty comes in believing what God says about us. See, that's where the rub comes. That's where the difficulty comes. When we see how the Bible describes us, you know, saints, forgiven, righteous because of Jesus, we spiritualize, we dispensationalize, we flatly deny that we, could, that we could possibly be what God says we are. It's easy to believe in Jesus. It's hard to believe that God could do in me what he said he would do. See, that's the problem. Now, because, remember Romans 10.10, it is with the heart that one believes unto righteousness. Because we can't believe what God says about us, we cannot receive the grace, which is God's ability and empowerment in us to actually become what he says we already are. So the grace of God has been given to us, bringing grace and truth, and we see that through the person of Jesus. And when we recognize that Jesus paid it all for us, that there's nothing that we could do to bring it about, we begin to glory in who the Father is, to have an accurate opinion of who He is, and we begin to live our life for His glory. When we believe what God says about us, then we begin to live in the empowerment and the the ability of God. Now here's the problem. You will either live your life in your own ability or you will live your life 
in God's ability. A lot of us, beloved, are living in our own ability. Sometimes we succeed amazingly, and sometimes we fail miserably, neither of which have anything to do with becoming righteous in your heart and before God. But when a person by faith becomes righteous in their heart because God has credited to your account righteousness, then you begin to live not in your own strength, but by the grace and the ability of God. You see, I couldn't help being struck, and I don't know if I actually looked at it. I didn't. But in, in Hebrew, no, it's in Philippians, you know, to live is Christ. Why did Paul say that? Because to live isn't about Steve. In other words, it's not my ability. You know, it's not about Charlotte. You know, it's not about you. It's about God graciously pouring his life into you and then by grace empowering you by his presence in you to live the life he's called you to live. And it's by grace. Now, real quickly, there's about four things I want to end with. Grace empowers us, but it doesn't excuse us. Now, the people who argue with grace, they know it's got to be, you know, got to be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. No, it's grace, and it never excuses us. What I mean by that is this. Jesus, as our righteousness, does not excuse us from living righteously. It determines, however, the source of our empowerment. You see, if we're living as Jesus is my righteousness by faith, then that simply determines the source of my ability. It's now His ability in me to live as Christ, we sang about. Thirdly, Jesus as our righteousness determines what makes us acceptable to God. Isn't that good news? If you're pedaling your bicycle real hard trying to stop this and do that and don't do this and don't do the other in order to be acceptable to God, the good news that Paul declared is to stop pedaling your bike and let Jesus confer upon you the grace of God that transforms the heart into a righteous place so that he who is holy will now come and live his life in you and then empower you with his ability to live the life only he can live. Righteousness, Jesus says our righteousness delivers us from excuses for ungodliness. The reason being is that if righteousness is a free gift, we have no reason to live anything but righteously. You understand what I'm saying? You see, if it's a free gift to me, and if God now says, Steve, because of Jesus... I'm going to now look at you only through eyes that see a righteous man because you're in Jesus. When he sees you, he see, when I see you, I see Jesus. And when I get that, then he says, now live in him and let him so live in your life so that now everything you do becomes an expression of him in you. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live. 
yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I now live to express the righteousness of God and the power of God and the acceptance and the love of God, I live by his life in me alone. You see, the Christian life is all about grace upon grace. And people who don't understand that think that we're saying, well, we're really excusing sin. Oh, no, it magnifies that you don't have any excuses because righteousness is by a gift. And the gift to live comes through Christ living his life in you. So, let's pray. Shall we do that, Dean? Would you come? And I have asked them if they would end with a specific song. And I've done that in order to allow an environment, a platform, that as we finish, you could simply ask Holy Spirit what he wants to speak to your heart. What... A question might be, what is empowering your life? Is it your ability? Is is it my ability, God? Or is it your ability in me? You might want to say, God, would you begin to rearrange the fabric of my understanding and help me to release faith in my heart toward Jesus alone? that he is my righteousness, my source of power, the source of my acceptance. He is, in fact, my life. Maybe today you're here and you go, you know, I've never trusted this Jesus you're talking about. Beloved, that's the best news that I could ever share with you, that he accepts you just the way you are when you turn from your sin and receive the free gift of grace in faith based upon what Jesus did on the cross. Let's just take a moment of silence before we're dismissed. Let's worship the Lord.